We are wrapping up our series through Mary's Magnificat today, where we are looking at a song that Mary sings in the Gospel of Luke in his depiction of the birth narrative of Jesus. And this song that Mary sings is in response to her coming to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is much older than her, who also has a miraculous pregnancy. Elizabeth is six months pregnant. Elizabeth, as a, a good cousin and friend, is, is coming to be with her in the kind of final trimester of the pregnancy. And no doubt Mary probably helped in the, the birth of John the Baptist while she was there with Elizabeth. But as Elizabeth greets her, the Spirit fills her and, and John in her belly leaps acknowledging there's something special about this woman and the child that she's bearing. And so Mary in response sings this song. And I'll read it here. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown the strength of his arm and he's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Now, if you've been with us as we've been walking through the Magnificat, we looked our first week of, of what does it mean to magnify God? What does it mean to use our lives to essentially become a spotlight that puts the attention on God? And then we, we looked at what it means that God chooses to be a God who blesses. That his desire towards his creation is to bless, to desire to, to give his good to his creation. And last week we talked about the fact that Mary's song it has some quite revolutionary themes. And to proclaim the kingdom that is coming means a challenge to our political ideas, to the way we see the world and those around us. This week we are going to be diving in to part of this Magnificat that talks about Mary speaking to the generations that would come after. Now, this might sound strange to you, but the Bible wasn't written to us, right? None of us were around 2,000 years ago when this was happening or when the prophets of ancient Israel were penning the words that we now have in our Old Testament. And, and too often, I think, as, as Christians, we open the Bible and our immediate question is, what's this saying to me? Right? The problem is, is Isaiah or, you know, Paul or, or whoever, when they were writing these scriptures inspired by the Spirit, they weren't thinking, this part's for Tyler. Now, the Holy Spirit might be aware of those things because the Bible was not written to us, but in some ways the Bible is written for us. That as we read these ancient scriptures, there are things that the Spirit wishes to say through it to you and I today, even though it has an original audience. 
Even though when Luke was writing his account of the gospel where he gets the lyrics for Mary's song, he's writing it so that Theophilus and and early Christians in the Roman Empire can understand the story of Jesus from kind of like a good journalistic standpoint. But it also has benefit for us. It's also authoritative and should shape who we are and our thinking today. We don't jump there. We need to understand what Luke's trying to say to his original audience so that then we might glean what it means for us. But there's something interesting about what's happening in Mary's song where she actually is speaking to those who would come generations later. There's three instances in this song, uh, verses 48, verse 50, and verse 55, where she's speaking essentially to the generations that will, will come after in, in 48, we read, surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. I don't know about you, but for me, as we've been working through that, that line has stood out to me over and over again. In verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And in verse 55, uh, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. Though Mary speaks and sings about her specific circumstances, and no doubt like Elizabeth and the people in Elizabeth's house were the first people to kind of hear these lyrics, we read them today, and as we see her singing about the generations that would come after, we should actually perk our ears up a little bit and say, oh, she's actually talking about us. She's talking about the generations who would come after her. So you and I, however many dozens of generations since then, after she gives birth to Jesus and Jesus grows up and is teaching his disciples who become the apostles that spread the gospel throughout the Roman Empire that then spreads like wildfire across the globe, we, 2,000 years later in Kings County PEI, are, are the generations afterwards and we should be able to, in a responsible way, read ourselves into these passages. So what is she saying about the generations that come after? She's saying all generations will call her blessed. That all generations can experience God's mercy. And that God is always faithful to his promises throughout the generations. So let's start with the really interesting one of from now on, all generations will call her blessed. The, the, what I'm trying to get at with this is generation after generation, us included throughout the ages, we look at Mary and her story and we should say she was blessed because she is this picture of closeness with God. Now, I don't know about you, but as someone who grew up in like the Protestant wing of the church, we sometimes have a bit of like a, an aversion to Mary, right? We sometimes pendulum swing react towards what we see in Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox traditions where Mary is venerated and lifted up and, and some would say worshipped. And so we kind of like, we're like, we don't want to go there. And so we're kind of a little nervous around Mary. Like we don't want to say too much. We don't want to give her too much credit. But I think we're missing out on something when we downplay the role of Mary. Mary experienced something that no other human being in history did. 
She experienced a kind of closeness with God that, that I, don't, I can't think of any other human being who would have the same experience. And I think her saying here that all generations will call me blessed is her knowing that, listen, from this moment forward, history is changing. Like the story about this Messiah and the ramifications for the world, like people are going to be telling this story. And 2,000 years later, here we are telling the story about Jesus and experiencing the story of Jesus in our own lives. But as we tell the story, especially at Christmas time, like we can't skip over the fact that Mary is a major part of that. And as we look at this story, we can't pass over the fact that like there was something unique that happened with her. That she experienced a kind of closeness with God that, man, like, do we not all long to be closer to God? Like, I've been a a Christian for a good part of my life, and I would say that in my heart of hearts throughout most of my life, there has been this longing of, I wish I could be closer to God. And I cover that all up, and I find other ways of, you know, trying to satisfy my desires and all those kinds of things, but But in the deep down work that the Spirit is doing in me, there is a deep desire for a closeness to God. A closeness that I feel like I've I've not come to experience yet. And when we look at Mary and the kind of closeness she had with her Creator, it should point us to, man, how blessed is she to be able to have this deep, intimacy with God in a way that you and I will not experience in the same way and I I don't want to like I don't want to paint you this picture of like Mary was always having these like ecstatic worship experiences but Mary's closeness to God is is very unique and is often overlooked by theologians and scholars throughout history because probably most of them are men and don't understand the reality of pregnancy But Mary had the divine dwelling in her, in in the baby she was bearing in her womb. She experienced a closeness to God where God made himself dependent on her body in order to live. God shows that that he would make himself vulnerable to the point of her placenta was what was feeding him. Where she experienced the kicks in her belly. A reminder that God is with me. She experienced the highs and lows of pregnancy, of the the excitement of finding out to the, the difficult mornings of morning sickness. Uh, we've been reading this uh, book at home called Honest Advent by Scott Erickson. Really good book that is helpful to kind of like break us out of some of our sentimental ways of thinking about Christmas to kind of hit us with some of the realities of it. Of He, he has this great quote. Was, there is a moment where the presence of God was felt as the unease of morning sickness. And we should not be surprised if our current unease our moments of the same avenue of presence. Mary couldn't ignore the fact that God was with her. She had this level of, of intimacy with her creator come in the flesh where like 
the late night feedings. The, the, the cries of, of her Savior calling out for her to be what he needed at that time in his life. Mary had a closeness and intimacy and a, an awareness of God with her. In not like these very religious trappings, but in the everyday down-to-earth moments of life. In her going through this pregnancy and caring for her child and raising her boy, she experienced a closeness and intimacy with God through all of that. It was in the everyday, the changing, the di- do they have diapers back then? Whatever they use. Like, she had to change her Savior's bum. Where she had a closeness and intimacy with God. And she's blessed for having that in a way that, that makes me long to know God and to be close to Him. And what I find amazing about this is like when we, among all generations, look back and say, you know, all generations will call her blessed. When, when we talk about the Blessed Virgin... I think sometimes we veer off into some weird theology of saying, oh, like, blessed is she, like, she's this perfect person, right? And that's what makes her the blessed virgin. No, she is blessed because she got to experience this closeness and intimacy with God that no one else has. No doubt she had parenting fail moments. No doubt she had breakdowns in the midst of the pregnancy where she's like, I don't know if I can do this. No doubt she had the, the late nights and the discomfort and Joseph as the dad is like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do at this stage, right? Like all of those things. But it, it was a discomfort and uneasiness in the everyday that showed her that God is there with her. What does it look like for us to experience God in the everyday moments? I think sometimes we pigeonhole God in, into like, it has to be my morning Bible time or when I'm at church or when I'm listening to like a rocking worship tune that like that's when God is at work or that's when, I, uh, that's when I'm supposed to be, feel close to God. But I wonder if God is inviting us to experience closeness to Him in more of just like the everyday, ordinary, boring stuff. Or even in our discomfort. What if, what if God moves most profoundly in us in the times where we are out of our comfort zone? Or out of our routine? Or out of what we would see as the moments where God is supposed to show up? If God can show up and be present in the morning sickness for Mary, where is he present and inviting us to live close to him in our moments and our discomfort. The second part that Mary talks about, the generations. She talks about how uh, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And, I, and what this is boiling down to is, is all generations can experience God's mercy. 
You ever see those like, uh, used to be like promos for Rocket Games, or I guess Islander Games now, whereas like the first 500 who arrive get a free t-shirt, right? The gospel is not like that. It is not like, oh, the first generation of believers, they get in on like the ground floor and, and things are better for them. They get to experience God's mercy and the rest of us, we just get cool stories to tell our kids. God's mercy is, which is most perfectly shown in what Jesus has done in dying and rising for us, is for every generation and all people who would come to fear him. It doesn't mean that you had to be a first century Jew in order to get in on it. You didn't have to be a a 16th century European to get in on it. It is for all generations who would come after the beauty of this is, is reminding us that what Jesus has done is, is, is bigger than what we could imagine. And when we think of, 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 of getting in on a great deal or experiencing something fantastic, we think of it's too good to be true. And I, like, I almost need to have this scarcity mentality of, of well, I better, I better grab that deal quick because there's not going to be you know, enough of that. But, but God's mentality is, is a mentality of abundance. Of this isn't just for you who are here. This isn't just for those who are hearing Mary's song or those who would hear Jesus speak in the Sermon on the Mount or just those who would hear the voice of the apostles. It is for every generation. And what I think is amazing is here we are 2,000 some years later and we see the church around the world. We see the church at work in Lebanon, which, by the way, is much closer to like home base, right, than for us. We, we think of like foreign missions to Lebanon, like we are the foreign mission from there, right? But the church has, has been at work by the power of the Spirit who is awakening hearts to come to know Christ throughout the centuries in all parts of the globe. And, and to see that the Spirit is still at work in this generation. Like, for those of us who, I shouldn't say those of us, for those of you who are, you know, maybe of previous generations where you have seen, like, this cultural Christianity kind of shift in our time of place, from it being less of a central thing in the public square to more marginal, like, we can have a temptation to think, like, oh man, everything is in decline. Like, the, the, what, what's going to happen for the next generation? And I mean, we do the good work of investing in the next generation, of passing on the good news of Jesus to those who come after us, but we don't lose hope that the next generation is lost because the Spirit is going to work in the next generation. His mercy is for generations and generations and generations and any who would come after Like, think about in the Middle East, after the rise of Islam, where Christianity was pretty much vacant in the Middle East for centuries. There is now more Christians in Iran than there has been for the last 13 centuries combined. Like, the Holy Spirit is doing things in this generation that shows us, like, the hot spot wasn't just back then 2,000 years ago. His mercy remains even now and today. 
Mary knew that what was happening with this baby, whatever it looks like, is going to have ramifications for generations of people to experience the Creator in a way that they never have before. Lastly, Mary says that we can all experience God's mercy because God is always faithful to His promise. And here she's referencing promise that God made to her ancestor Abraham back in the book of Genesis. And we talked about this uh, a bit throughout this series. Of God shows up to this random guy and he says, I promise to make you into a great nation and I'm going to bless all nations through you. And a couple chapters later, he comes back to Abraham and he says, listen, even though you and your wife are barren and you guys are old, like God is about miraculous pregnancies for some reason, right? You guys are going to have kids and your descendants, I am committing myself to you. I will be your God and you will be my people for generations on. And so God commits himself to people. He commits to be faithful. That he is always going to hold up his end of the deal. And we can look at that and we can say, well, too bad for us because most of us in this room aren't Jewish. Like we don't have direct lineage from Abraham. And, and so that's a neat thing for them. But what is it for us? And I think this is where we need to understand the relationship that we as followers of Jesus now have to God's promise throughout the generations. Is Paul, in his writings to the church, the early church, he told them that even though you guys are, are Gentiles, you're not Jewish. You guys come from Greek backgrounds and African backgrounds and uh, no, um, uh, like from Europe and India, like all over the place. He's saying, even though you are not direct descendants from Abraham, through your faith in the Messiah, you are brought into the family. In, in Galatians 3, he says this, Just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, so you see those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. Meaning that we who believe in the Messiah are brought into the family. He uses this language of grafting. I don't know if like any of you are green thumbs or like um, do do any of that kind of work, but uh, it's this picture of like there's a tree that's growing, and we were this kind of like other branch or this other plant that gets brought into the tree, and we get nourished from the roots. The promise that was for Abraham and his descendants now for us as like mostly European descendant people who are in Canada, who are followers of Jesus, we become inheritors of the promise as well. I have this picture that I, I threw in. I was, I've just been like looking up grafting. Like, what is that? And it's this really interesting like tree surgery that happens where they cut open a tree or they cut a part off and they stick in another piece and they wrap it up until it grows in to be part of the plant. Like, you and I become inheritors through Jesus of the promise that God is going to be committed and faithful to us. And so in our moments, like we were praying and talking about earlier, where, where we feel far from God, 
or we feel like we're, we're in the, the, the valley of the shadow of death, to use the Psalm 23 analogy, we have this promise from God that He is faithful to us. He is going to be our God and we will be His people. That He is committed to us. That He's not going anywhere on us. And so when we are faced with, with grieving or lost, or that feeling of like, God, where even are you right now? He's there. And, and, and yes, we might struggle to experience it and feel it and understand it, but we can rely on God's promise of faithfulness, of his commitment to us, even when our commitment to him even wavers, that he will follow through and be faithful. He's going to pursue us with his mercy throughout the generations. He's not tired of chasing after us. Uh, I, it, it, this all made me think of well, Psalm 23 again, the, the final verse where it says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Through every generation, God is pursuing and seeking to lavish His mercy on those who would fear Him. So for you and I, generations after Mary, as, as those who, we read this song that was sung 2,000 years ago and we're trying to make sense of what it means for us today, it's It's applicable. Like, there are parts of it that are for us where we can see and long for the closeness that God had with Mary and God invites us to see Him in our everyday moments. We can know that His mercy is for us and that the cross is powerful enough to reach through the, the, the space and time since it happened outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago that what took place is for us. And that God is going to be faithful. That His mercy is going to pursue us even in the darkest of moments. Would you pray with me? God, I thank You for Your faithfulness even when our faith wavers. I thank You that You are a God who You have the long game, the big picture in mind in ways where we, we don't always get it. And so God, in in our moments of, of grieving, in our moments of uh, not knowing where you are, I pray that you would remind us of your promise, of your trustworthiness, that your goodness and mercy is going to follow us all the days of our life, that you are faithful. And so God, would we meet you in the everyday? Would we experience a closeness to you And may generations even after us experience that too. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.